0: Thank you to each one who participated in our service today. And again, we invite you back tonight for uh, the senior choir, as you heard one of the songs from the cantata. Looking forward to the entire cantata. For Advent, we have been considering together Galatians chapter four, verses four and five. I've, I've been taking it phrase by phrase. This morning, we're gonna look at the verse in its entirety. The theme of this morning's message is that Christmas is the celebration of the incarnation, the coming of the Son of God to earth. And this morning, in particular, we're going to be focusing on the significance of the Son of God coming to earth. Again, we're going to look at these verses phrase by phrase and looking at them in their entirety. First, In the significance, we note the time of the Son of God's coming. It says, in the fullness of time. That fullness can refer to many different things. He came in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Uh, The angel came and announced that the Savior was going to be born. (coughs) And, of course, he was born after John the Baptist. It was in the days of Caesar Augustus. It tells us, in Luke chapter two in those days, the decree went out from Caesar Augustus, that all the world should be registered. It was the reason why David, uh, excuse me, why uh, Joseph and Mary went to Bethlehem. and it's in the full development of the baby Jesus in Mary's pregnancy, Luke 2:6. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. As we think of this fullness of time, it speaks of an anticipated time that was predicted and looked forward to from many generations previous it was a pointed time it was a specific time it was a designated time and a, a fixed time by the father and it was an appropriate time everything was right and made ready for the coming of the son of god the second thing we want to note is the impetus for the Son of God's coming. The impetus tells us in verse 4 that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son. God sent forth His Son. That's a, a very important word, to send forth. It is a word that's used 14 times in the New Testament. And it speaks of one that is deployed out of the midst of another. For example, in Acts chapter 11, verse 22, it says, Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. The idea is that he was sent out, he was sent on a mission, but more than just being sent out, he was sent forth from them, he departed from them in order to accomplish this this message. It speaks of being in the midst and then being sent out. It's in that exact way in which it's referring to God the Son. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, sent him from his midst. Pastor Cruz this morning uh, took us to John chapter 1 and emphasized that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This morning we are thinking about that aspect of the fact that he was with God. Speaks of the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So God the Son was with God the Father in all eternity past. It speaks of his pre-existence. And at the right time, at the appropriate time, at the fixed time, God the Father sent forth God the Son into this world from his presence into this place. And then thirdly, we have the manner of God's sending his son. That is that he is born of a woman. This speaks of the way that God the Son took upon himself in addition to his deity, humanity. As Pastor Cruz mentioned this morning, John 1, 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The means by the word taking on flesh is by being born of a woman. And I wanna think with you a little bit about that birth this morning. For the woman to whom Jesus was born was a virgin. If you turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter one, I'm going to start with verse 26. It's the angel's visitation to Mary. If you look at Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26, it states, and in the sixth month, that is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, six months after the angel had come to Elizabeth and said that she was going to have a baby. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin. And that's what I want to emphasize this morning. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Now Mary was not just a young unmarried woman, we know that she was unmarried. It refers to her as betrothed. The closest thing that we have to that is engaged, but there was a little difference between a person that was betrothed in the New Testament and engagement as we understand it, but that's the closest thing we have to it. So we'll take that for this morning. She was engaged to a man, but she was a virgin. A virgin. Mary was literally a virgin. There are many today that like to speak of her being a young woman or being innocent, but it indeed means that she was a virgin. And if you look at Luke chapter 1, verse 34, after Mary is told that she is going to have a child, she asks a very logical question. Luke 1, 34, Mary said to the angel, "'How will this be since I am a virgin?' Literally translated, King James says, Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? Uh, That is a euphemism for having sexual relationships. She said, How is this going to happen, since I've not had a sexual relationship with a man? And the New English translation Translates it exactly that way, Luke 1.34, New English translation. And Mary said to the angel, How shall this be, since I have not had sexual relations with a man? That's what we're talking about. How is it possible for a woman who has not had sexual relationships with a man to have a baby? Mary actually physically conceived a child. She actually brought forth a child through conception. If you look at Luke chapter one, verse 36, it says, behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. So she conceived, we understand that. That's the natural process. But if you turn over to Luke 2.21. Luke 2.21. And the end of eight days, when he, that is Jesus, was circumcised, he was called Jesus. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So we're, we're talking about conception in the very real sense. Again, you don't need to turn to there, but Matthew chapter 1, verse 20 says, but as he considered these things, this is Joseph, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in heaven, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Conception. In the book of Genesis, the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, Old Testament is written in Hebrew, uh, so uh, the Septuagint was written for the Jewish people who could no longer speak Hebrew. And uh, the, the Septuagint, the Greek translation, uses... These words that are in our text concerning Adam and Eve. Now, Adam knew his wife and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. So, this passage is teaching us that the Son of God, who existed for all eternity past, took upon himself flesh, meaning humanity and in his humanity was actually physically conceived by Mary, true 100% God, as Pastor Cruz referred to this morning, and 100% man. That conception was miraculous. When she asked the question, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man, The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High shall overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called the Holy Son of God. That this child that will be born will be truly man and truly God. This word for overshadow where it says that the power of the highest will overshadow you is a word that refers to the Shekinah glory of the Old Testament. It refers to the presence of God in that cloud that represented his presence. Uh, in Exodus forty thirty-five, it says that Moses was not able to enter into the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So God's presence was manifested at that tabernacle, and God's presence filled the tabernacle. It's used again in Matthew chapter 7 at the Mount of Transfiguration. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. This Shekinah glory overshadowed those that were gathered on the mount. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son, with whom I'm well pleased, listen to him. That cloud represented the presence of God. And Mary is told that the very presence of God will be in you. That Shekinah glory that represented the presence of God in the tabernacle of the Old Testament, that Shekinah glory that appeared again on the top of the Mount of the Transfiguration, that Shekinah glory is going to be within you. And the child that is going to come forth, conceived by you, will be called the Holy Son of God. God in flesh. Colossians says, for in him, referring to Jesus, Dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily, true God and true Man. The child was growing and developing in Mary's womb, and she carried him to full term. For Luke 20, two twenty six says, "While they were there, the days were accomplished for her to give birth." And Mary gave birth to that child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. Wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. What is the main point of Galatians 4 is that God sent forth his his son to be born of a woman. To take on humanity. He needed to become a human being. The result of his taking on humanity is given to us in Galatians chapter four, if you're still there. Uh, When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. The significance of that is that he's born under the law. That is, since Jesus Christ was, in fact, a human, he was placed under the demands and obligations of God's law as were all other human beings. As a human, he voluntarily placed himself under the obligations that went with being a human being, including following all the commands and directives of God. Jesus said, do not think that I have come to abolish The law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish but to fulfill. He came to be placed under the law. And the scriptures are careful to point out. That he fulfilled every aspect of the law of God. Tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. Now if you're still in Luke. Look at Luke chapter 2 starting in verse 21. For well, this is the account of Mary and Joseph bringing Jesus before the priest uh, as was the duty and responsibility in the association with his being circumcised. And if you look at chapter 2, verse, starting at verse 21, we have the repeated reference to the law of Moses and the law of the Lord, to emphasize the fact that he came to fulfill the law. He came to be under the authority of the law. And from his infancy on, he was fulfilling that law. So if you look at Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 21, it says, and at the end of eight days, when he, that is Jesus, was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came into the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus, these words, to do for him according to the custom of the law. Four times it's emphasized that everything that's taking place is because that's what the law required, that's what the law said. And it's pointing out to us that here is Mary and Joseph fulfilling all that the law required concerning what's to be done with a baby when it's born. He came under the law and he was obedient to, fulfilled every aspect of God's law. The reason for the Son of God's coming is given to us in Galatians chapter 4 when it says, To redeem those that were under the law. So let's re- re- review. In the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law in order to redeem those who were under the law. The book of Hebrews says this, since therefore the children, speaking of God's people, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same that through death he might destroy the one who had the power of death, that is, the devil. Hebrews 2, 17, therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. In order to redeem us, in order to be our savior, he had to be like us in every way. He had to be human in order to be able to redeem us. And in order to redeem, the word redeem means to pay the price. He paid the price for our sins. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. For our sins to be forgiven, the price of sin had to be paid. Jesus paid that price. He was the redeemer. He was the savior. Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you was born this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord. He is the savior because he redeemed us. And the scripture teaches us that the price that he paid was his very own blood. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Knowing that you have been redeemed, not with perishable things like silver or gold, from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of of Christ. You have been redeemed. Your sins have been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why he took on the obligation of the law. He fulfilled all righteousness. Every aspect of sin. There's two aspects to sin. There are sins of commission, sins of omission. Sins of commission are things that are committed, things that we do that we should not do. Sins of omission is the failure to do the things that we should do and don't. Jesus paid the price for all the things that we should do. Excuse me. Paid the price for all the things that we should not do and did and provide the righteousness for all the things that we should do and shouldn't uh, and fail to do. He redeems us in the fullest sense of that word. And then lastly, the aim, the ultimate goal. Why did he do this? Answer, that we might receive the adoption of sons. That was the goal or purpose for God in sending his son into the world, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem us so that we could become the adopted sons of God. Now in Sunday school, so I'm not going to review all that this morning, but in Sunday school I spent a good bit of time talking about what it meant to be a son of God or, and the fact that now we are adopted sons of God. But let me just make a couple of applications here. Of what it means that we are the adopted sons of God. It means that we are brought into a new relationship with God. A new relationship with God. A new intimacy with God. If you look at Galatians 4 verse 6. It says, and because you are sons. God has sent the spirit of the son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Abba is Aramaic, and it means Daddy. Daddy, Father. As sons, we enjoy a new intimacy with God. If you look at Galatians 4, 6... There's an interesting word there. It says, Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. And then it's the word crying. Crying, Abba, Father. This word for crying does not mean to weep, this word means to cry out. It means to shout, it means to scream. It's a word that talks of being in a place of extreme peril, or harm, or hurt, and you're calling out for help. Daddy! You can just think of a young child who recognizes that they are lost, or they are in danger, or they are alone. Crying out, Daddy! Daddy! This is what is meant when it says you are the adopted sons of God. That you can cry out, Daddy, to God to find help of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's used of Jesus when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will but die. In his moment of great intense need, he's calling upon his Father. But look at our context. If you look at Galatians chapter four, verse seven, verse, chapter four, verse six says, and because you are sons God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts crying abba father verse 7 so that you are no longer a slave so that you are no longer a slave now there are two concepts that go along with being a slave i know we're looking at a lot of scripture but if you would turn with me keep your finger here and turn with me to Romans chapter 8 Because there are very few places in scripture where this Abba Father appears. Romans 8 is very instructive. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. Remember Galatians 4, 7. Just to draw the dots. Galatians 4, 7 says you are no longer a slave. You're a son. Crying Abba Father. Now look at Romans 8, 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery... To fall back in fear but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry same terminology Abba Father by whom we call out Abba Father you do not have the spirit of slavery but you're a son that you can call out to God in a time of need you see when you were a slave you had to be afraid of the master When you were a slave, you had to hide any wrongdoing. If you messed up in the slightest of ways, it could mean that you would be beaten, or whipped, or met with all kinds of condemnation. And at the whim of the master, it might mean that you'd be killed because of what you had done. And so a slave, lived their life in fear of making some kind of mistake and somehow experiencing some kind of punishment for what they had done. But God says you have been redeemed and he sent forth his spirit into our lives so that we can cry out daddy to God in times of need and not fear the consequence. For he's taken away our sin. He's dealt with all the disapproval in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ when he died on the cross. And so now, despite for whatever reason, we find ourselves helpless and hopeless And needy. Even if it's because of our own sinful choices. We can cry out to God. Help me. God help me. And he will hear us. And he will help us. For we are his adopted sons. No longer slaves. And then the most mind-boggling thought of it all is that as adopted sons, we are brought into a relationship with God the Father that relates to the relationship of Father and Son in the Trinity. That we have a standing with God where we're viewed in a right relationship with God that cannot be separated or destroyed. In John chapter 17, Jesus prayed and said this, I do not ask for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one just as you father are in me and I in you that they may also be one in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me father I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you have loved me before the foundation of the world that they would be one with us and be with me Be with him in glory. Be with him where he was before the foundation of the world, to be in the very presence of God. For notice back in Galatians chapter 4, verse 7. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You don't need to turn there. Give me listen to some more verses. Romans chapter 8, we looked at. But the next verses say this, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. Fellow heirs with Christ, meaning that we share in the inheritance that belongs to Christ. Ephesians 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ as He has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him? He has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Everything that Christ has, we share in. Hebrews says He's not ashamed to call us brethren. We now have rights to all that Jesus Christ has because we are the adopted children of God. Ephesians, uh, excuse me, 1 Peter puts it this way, blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable Incorruptible, unfading, kept in heaven for you. We have this heavenly inheritance being brought into the very presence of God because of what Jesus Christ has done. Every spiritual blessing is ours. There is nothing that is withheld from us because God sent His Son in this world to redeem us to be his adopted children. So this morning, as we think about Christmas, and we think about this particular verse in particular, two things I'd like you to go away with. As we think of the adopted sons of God, thinking about what Jesus Christ did when he came in this world to save me. First, that his adopted children of God were no longer slaves no longer fearful. But no matter what the circumstance, no matter what the cause, no matter even if it's the result of our own sinful choice, we can cry out to God, is our Heavenly Daddy. And He will accept us. And He will help us. And He will have mercy upon us And we don't have to fear telling him of what we have done. For he is not going to banish us and he is not going to punish us. For Christ bore all the consequences of our sinfulness. Secondly, as sons of God, we have an inheritance. We are raised to a position of Jesus Christ, who is the true Son of God that we share in all the blessings for all eternity, of being in his presence, of being where he is, and experiencing what he enjoys. He has made us a part of his heavenly family. That's what God did through Christmas. Let's take that message to others. We have such a needy world that needs forgiveness from sins and desperately stands in need of help. And that help comes from the Lord God through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Almighty God, we marvel at the thought of the incarnation. My mind is taken to the great responses of those that were involved in that first night. I, I, I think of the, crown, the, the, the townspeople who marveled when they heard what was told to them by the shepherds. We have the shepherds who rejoiced in what they heard. And we have Mary who pondered all these things in her hearts. Lord, help us to marvel. Help us to rejoice. And help us to ponder, to reflect, to think upon all that was given to us in Jesus Christ. Thank you for being our Heavenly Father. Thank you for being our heavenly daddy. And no matter what need we have this day, there is no reason to fear to come before you. We can come boldly under the throne of grace and expect to find help in time of need because you are our heavenly daddy. Oh Lord, give us intimacy with you. Give us fellowship with you. Give us confidence in you to run to you with our needs, our heartaches, our miseries, our shortcomings and failures. And Lord, help us to rejoice in thinking of this incredible inheritance that is ours, that for all eternity future, we're going to enjoy the fellowship of the Godhead, and all the blessings that exist in eternal glory is ours as adopted sons of God. So thank you for your mercy, thank you for your grace, thank you for the coming of the Son of God, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those that were under the law, so that we could receive adoption as sons. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.